the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, God has just reduced Gideon's force to 300 men and is about to send them into battle. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. Once again, that's Judges chapter 7, verse 9. Judges 7, verse 9. By this point, Gideon is done trying to get out of God's call for his life. He's embraced God's plan and God's faithfulness to what he said he would do. And that's left him with 300 men to face 135,000. <laughs> The only way they survive is if God does a miracle, right? I mean, that's clear. That's the only way. Now, like Gideon, we have God's call on our lives. You know, he's separated us from the world. He's called us to his side, and he's called us to do things. And we have God's promises as well. So when we also face impossible odds, instead of just trust the Lord for a miracle, it's easy to reason out, the possibilities of how that might happen, and then become discouraged because we don't see any way for God to come through. So as we see Gideon's faith and God's faithfulness, may we realize that the most rational thing for a Christian to do is to leave the how to God. So chapter 7, verse 9. And it came to pass that same night, the same day, the evening of the same day that the 300 were selected. There's no quorum together to decide what they're going to do. There's no two-week planning of how 300 men are going to take on 135,000. It's the same day. It's go time. Came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, to Gideon, Arise, get you down unto the host, the army that's there in the valley, for I have delivered it into your hand. How crazy is that? I know my heart gets pumping and going when I hear noises in the night. And most of the time, you know, I just kind of shrug it off. But I would say 75% of the time, there's usually an elbow hitting me in the side. What was that? And I know that even if I try to get out of it, I'm going to have to get up and go check. And some of the times, though, you hear those thumps and you go, that wasn't just me hearing something. And so my heart gets thumping when I have to go check the house for intruders that are never there. So Gideon would require a lot of courage to obey the Lord in this. And yet the Lord reminds Gideon that he is the one who's delivered the enemy into Gideon's hand. That means Gideon will win. That means Gideon can't be harmed when he goes down there. 
So there's nothing to be afraid of. He says, get you down to the army because I've delivered it into your hand. So right off the get-go, do we trust God's word? Do we trust God's promise, even when the how isn't apparent to us? That's the challenge, isn't it, right? That's the challenge. Now, the Jezreel Valley, it cuts like a banana shape through three peaks. On the south, you got... um, Oh, the name has just slipped me, but it's where the Well of Harad is, where Gideon's at. And then to the direct north, you've got Mount Mora, where you have the base of the bulk of the Midianites' army. And then to the northeast, you've got another peak. It's where now there's a crusader fortress that we saw last trip to Israel. And this is kind of where they're in that location. These 135,000 men are camped. So it's not like a bowl per se, but it is kind of like a funnel. It's a tight area where they've decided to kind of funnel themselves. And this will become important later on because there's only two ways out. There's either south and east or there's west toward the Mediterranean, which they're not going to flee that way. Now, to this point, Gideon has not exactly been a model of faith, right? He's testing God every step of the way. But in the end, he has obeyed God. Well, the Lord graciously addresses his fears about going down there in verse 10. He says, go down there, but if you fear to go down, go thou with Phura, your servant, down to the host. Now, logic, of course, says, what are two going to do against 135,000 that one can't? But there is something about numbers that makes you feel a little bit better about it. When I'm creeping through the house, I I don't have any guns. I have medieval weaponry. So if I get to you, you're going to hurt when you die. And so it's funny, for Christmas, somebody got me a Jewish dagger. So now I can, you know, never mind. But even when I'm creeping around there, it's a little frightening, but it's a little different when somebody else is next to you. It just takes the edge off a little bit. And so, you know, isn't the Lord gracious to Gideon? We are so very weak, and and he knows our frame, and he's so patient, and he's so kind to us. Don't ever listen to the condemnation of the enemy who tells you God's through with you because of all your shenanigans. I can't tell you how many times I've just come kind of hanging my head back to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I got nowhere else to go, and so here I am because I know this is where I need to be, but I don't even know why you take me back. And the Lord, he never berates me. He never kicks me away. He never says, I'll take you back, but you're, you're on the B team now, you know? You're, on the, you're, you're in the back seat now. You, you can't do the things I called you to do before. God has never, ever treated me like that when I've blown it, or I've, I've just not been trusting him like I should, going through all these antics. In Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14, it, it talks about this, how he knows our frame. In Psalm 103, in verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And David put the, he went through a lot of shenanigans with the Lord. And he writes us, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. What are they? He forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Like when you come back to the Lord after your nonsense, do you feel like that? No, I don't. But these are the things that David says, don't forget these things. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. All that are oppressed. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to kind of earn our way back into God's good graces. You know, like, you know, 
well, you know, I've kind of been doing my own thing for a while. Now I'm in a mess. And so now, well, I've got to fix it first before I can come to the Lord. That's the enemy. The best place to come when you're in a mess, even if you're the one who made the mess, is right back to the throne of grace. Because that's where we find grace and help and mercy in time of need. It's not where people go who deserve to be there. There's no such thing, no such place. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And then he shows how God revealed himself to Moses. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous abounding is what that means in mercy. He won't always chide. He's not always going to fight against you because you're not where you should be and he's trying to get your attention. Neither will he keep his anger forever. For he's not dealt with us after our sins. Praise God. <laughs> he's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Why? For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great. King James says, is his mercy towards them that fear him. But that's that word hesed, loving kindness. For as high as the heaven is above the earth. How high? Like when do you come to a stopping point if you're just going up above the earth into heaven? Do you ever stop? I don't think any of us have found it. If it is, if there is a boundary at the end of the universe, I don't think anybody's found it yet. But that's how great his mercy, his loving kindness is towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, if you're traveling east, guess what? You're never going west. You're always going east because you're just going around right that. In other words, he's removed our transgressions so far from us that they can never harm us again. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now, why does God want Gideon to go down to this camp? <laughs> well, he explains in verse 11. Go down there, take your servant with you if you're afraid. And in verse 11, he says, and you shall hear what they say. God doesn't tell them what they're going to say, but you'll hear what they're talking about. And after you hear that afterward, shall your hands be strengthened to go down and fight, go down into the army. So then he went down with Phura his servant under the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. Gideon is going to hear things from the Midianites that will firm up his choice to move forward with God's plan. Now, the fact that Gideon did go down with Pharaoh means he was scared. He was frightened. And you know, it's okay to feel fear as a Christian. It's okay to have that reaction. Part of that's a natural reaction. There's a reason that when a car's coming towards you, you didn't see that your body reacts with fear and you move out of the way. But on the other hand, after it's all over, if you just keep staying in that state, that's not only not healthy, but it's not the way... God wants us to be. It's okay to feel and experience fear. There are fearful things out there sometimes. But we have to be able to grab hold of the fact that the Lord is with us and to rein it in and exercise self-control. We are 
not allow to let fear rule our decision-making processes. Now, the trip down is daunting. I mean, they're laying out there. It says they lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, desert locusts. Right now, they're having a desert locust problem in Kenya. They actually came from the Middle East, and they're in Kenya. I watched this video. That was frightening because they're everywhere. They're just, you can't breathe. They're just everywhere. That's what he's seeing. He's seeing it like that desert locust kind of attack where they're just everywhere. And then their camels were too many to count. They were without number, like the sand by the seaside for multitude. Scary. But Gideon obeys the Lord. He's down there, and God faithfully keeps his promise. Look at verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into the tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. Talk about bad carbs. He says to his friend, Behold, he said, uh, check this out. You know, this is something that's crazy that I've heard. He said, I dreamed a dream. And in it, a cake of barley bread. It probably means the way they would do bread back then is they would process the loaf of bread into a shape like a round disc, so like a, a large circle. So it's probably that's what he saw come tumbling down the hill toward their camp. Uh, it could have been a round ball. They did that with bread sometimes too, like matzo balls. Could have been that. But this thing is tumbling. It's like a bowling ball. It's rolling down into the army, and it came unto one of the tents there and hit it so that the tent fell and it overturned it. It means it totally ruined it so that it lay along. It was just lay there in ruins, completely wrecked. And he's going, what does that mean, man? What is that about? Now, I daydream about bread because I can't eat it, but it's never a nightmare. It's always a good dream. So it sounds to me like this guy needs to cut out some carbs. But again, he wouldn't be telling his friend this unless it frightened him. Dreams back then, like some people today, still see dreams this way, but dreams back then culturally were considered a means of divine communication. And this guy's friend does not like the sound of this one. Verse 14, his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else except the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. There is only one way to interpret your dream, buddy. We're doomed. Wow. Talk about a God thing, though. How did they know even Gideon led the Israeli army? It's possible they received intel. But if that's true, then they already had the intel that they outnumbered Gideon's forces like five to one. Even if they didn't know that Gideon already shrunk the forces down to 300. Even if it was back to the 32,000, they still outnumbered it five to one. And yet we see what God wanted Gideon to hear. They were afraid. God had already prepared the way for victory. Gideon just needs to obediently seize it. And so verse 15 says, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he went back to the camp. Is that what it says? What did he do? He worshiped. That means to bow down right there. Get in here a few feet from the enemy. Wouldn't it be wiser to head back and then conduct a worship service? Not at all. 
because Gideon finally believes God is with him. And then he knows nothing can happen to him. And that's the point of the dream. It's the point of why he's down there. God had been with him every step of the way, and he was right there in the middle of the enemy's camp doing his thing too. And therefore, this was the most appropriate place to worship the Lord, right in the middle of the crisis. So, do you and I take time to worship the Lord in the midst of our crisis? I can't tell you how many times. This is what my wife is really good for because I'm the panicker in the family, and she's the level-headed one generally. And about little things, big things I tend to take a little bit better, but little things are the ones that tend to throw me out of sorts. And she'll remind me to stop and just say, Will, have you talked to the Lord about it? And of course, you know, that's like the worst thing to say to someone who's panicking, you know, because of course I haven't talked to the Lord. You know, it's a crisis. <laughs> Why would I take time to do that? I've got to solve the problem, right? And, uh, but that's the thing, to slow down, not worry about the current crisis, not worry about what might happen. Yeah. Well, I have learned, well, still learning it, but what I have observed over the years and seen to be true, still learning to put it into practice, is that if I delay because I'm trying to seek the Lord sincerely, not just being lazy, but I'm trying to seek the Lord and I'm trying to get my heart in the right spot with him, God is so good, he's not going to punish me for that. Like, why in the world, you know, like, for example, you know, the people tell that story about the guy, the flood comes in, and, you know, he's in the house, and they're telling him to evacuate, and he goes, nope, trust the Lord, take care of me. And, you know, and then, you know, the water's up, and he's out on a bedroom balcony, whatever, and, you know, get in the boat, man. Oh, no, I'm trusting the Lord to protect me. And last, he's on the roof, and they've got a helicopter, and the helicopter says, get in, this is the last chance. Oh, the Lord's going to take care of me. And then he drowns, he gets to heaven, and the Lord goes, he goes, Lord, they're going to take care of me. And the, you know, the Lord says, I sent you two boats and a helicopter, what's the problem? And I, I get it. I understand what that's saying, that don't be foolish. If you already have instructions from the Lord, then you need to follow those instructions. But like I, a lot of times people will say, well, no, you need to do something now, or this needs to happen. And, and I've learned that sitting back and going, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do yet. And then seeking him that he has never, ever let me down or punished me because of that. Because I didn't act. I didn't say something or I didn't do something. Always the Lord has come through for me. I am a fervent believer that anytime that someone tells me, well, if you wait, you're going to run out of time and, and the opportunity is going to be missed, that it's just not the Lord. It's just not the Lord. Because he doesn't operate on the same deadlines we do. He just doesn't. I've had times when it's well past the deadline and the Lord just says, not my deadline. Then it comes through anyway. So I've just learned that when someone's pressuring me like that, so you got to do something, that I just go, actually, I don't. Actually, I am going to do something. I'm going to seek the Lord about this. But I think we forget. Like, that's why David said what he said there. We, we forget how good God is. So it's highly appropriate for him to worship in the middle of a crisis. Do we take the time to do that, to thank him for his promises and to rest in his faithfulness? We need to do that in the middle of crises. Now, once Gideon's done worshiping, I don't know how long it was, he heads back to his men with a confident message. 
And so it was that when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. It is go time. This is a done deal as far as I'm concerned, men. Let's get it done. Gideon is no longer the man of doubt. He's embraced God's call and God's commands. And you know what I love about that is because I have not always been like this Gideon. Sometimes I've been like the earlier Gideon. And maybe you're like the earlier Gideon right now, skeptical, grumpy, and even doubting God after he's done the miraculous. Just don't stop walking with the Lord. Your story isn't over, and if you keep walking, you will have Gideon's faith someday too. Now, Gideon knows it's a done deal, but he still doesn't know how. He doesn't know how God's going to do it. So verse 16, I don't know if God gave him this plan or if this is what Gideon decided to do, but he knows it's going to take a miracle, and so he says this is what our part's going to be. Verse 16, and he divided the 300 men into three companies, 100 each, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand, not a sword, and empty pitchers, these would be decent-sized jars you'd carry on your shoulders. So these are pretty heavy. And lamps w- were put inside the pitchers. These would be lit torches. So they lit torches, put them inside the pitchers. So they're walking around with pitchers and a trumpet. Not exactly soldier garb. And they were going to hide the torches until everybody got into position. And once there, in those pitchers, once there, they would follow these instructions. Verse 17. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. Now Gideon doesn't tell us what he's doing here, but he gives them a demonstration before they leave. Look on me, and then you're going to do what I am doing right now. And then behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, that's what you'll do, because they won't be able to see each other. They're going to be all around. And when I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, this would take a lot of courage for all these men. Because if those Midianite soldiers charged Gideon or anybody else, they would very quickly see it's just one dude. So they all had to trust that God would come through right at that moment for this plan to work. You know, people often question Gideon's courage, and he was a, he was a very brave man. Remember, he's out harvesting before they get there because he wants food. He's, he's being brave. He just needed to couple that bravery with trust in the Lord instead of thinking he knew best. Now, I love how Gideon puts the Lord first. He knows who's going to win this battle, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. He's just a partner in that process. And I love that God invites us to be a partner with him. So there are these interesting conundrums, and you've probably thought of these too. You're like, if I don't share the gospel, does that mean that person, they're going to go to hell because I didn't share the gospel with them? I mean, is God going to really leave it up to me like that? And, and I understand the question because we think that God's fair and God's good and, and all that's true. And certainly God's going to work in people's lives, and it's not that everything depends upon us. That's not the point. But we do partner with them, don't we? Like, we do have a part to play, and there are negative consequences when we don't do our part, right? So, I mean, otherwise, it wouldn't matter. So, our actions do matter. But at the same time, it's that God invites us to partner with Him. It's not because everything counts upon us. So, God is faithful. He's powerful. He's far bigger than our failures, and He can come through when we fail. But He does invite her to partner with Him, and what we do does matter. So, 
Gideon recognizes that. And what a cool thing that God would ask us to partner with him, invite us to partner with him, command us to partner with him. And some of God's commands will seem crazy at times, given your situation. But here's the thing. When we consider God's power, God's love, and God's faithfulness, it's never crazy. In fact, when we consider those three things, doing what God says makes the most sense. And that's what the Bible tells us. And I'm going to leave you with this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And you know it. It's a verse that's popular. People quote it all the time. But it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for Timothy, who was struggling as a pastor with all the challenges he faced, he says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God loves us. He's faithful and he's all powerful. So we can love others no matter what crisis we're going through. We can move in his power no matter how difficult the challenge is in front of us. And we can have a sensible, sound mind through it all. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Help us to see that you're with us. You won't forsake us. You love us. You're good. And Lord, you are for us. We choose to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.